This is an ABC podcast. For 10 million Australians, the world as they knew it stopped this morning. In the early hours of the morning, telecommunications giant Optus service dropped out, causing chaos for all its customers as the penny dropped about what was and wasn't working. Trains stopped. Hospital switchboards died and businesses closed as they couldn't use FPOS to charge customers and some mobiles couldn't even ring triple zero. By the end of business trade, some services had been restored. But it did seem in every conversation I had today, it suddenly dawned on people how much we rely on telecommunications for absolutely everything. Now, communication blackouts are par for the course for people living in regional Australia. Today, people in the city got a dose of what that was like. I'm Sinead Mangan and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wajak Country, Perth. To talk about this, I'm joined by telecommunications analyst Paul Buddha. Now, Paul, the South Australian Premier Peter Malinowskis has described the Optus outage as the single biggest telecommunications outage seen in Australia. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think this is exceptionally um, of an exceptionally scale. We've seen others where the the uh, East Coast was disconnected, and we've got other, you know, citywide disconnection. This is really one of the biggest I've ever seen, correct. The ripple effect has been quite staggering. Like I said, you know, hospitals been affected, government agencies and transport. But then there's the specifics that you hear, like the New South Wales Poisons Information Centre hotline was down, so they had to give advice on that. All the medical services were affected. I heard of an obstetrician talking about sitting in the ward in case there was a call because they couldn't actually call him and he was particularly worried about mums who might be coming from miles, you know, to get into into the labour ward. So we've seen the impact every But it does kind of beg the question, why are there no fail-safes built into the system for key services like hospitals, like transport and like the telecommunication services themselves? Yeah, obviously, there's no one single uh, simple answer, but there are quite a few things that we can do. Uh, the first of all, I mean, we have to start looking at the networks themselves, not not just Optus, all of them, and just start looking. And we cannot have just one single uh, fail point, you know, in the network where everything goes down. That's just unacceptable. And nowadays we have technologies whereby you can, in an intelligent way, reroute uh, 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 telecommunications traffic. But that requires that within your network, uh, you will have to have redundancy. You will have to have some separate systems so that when one system fails, the other one take over. And it looks like that that's not in place at uh, at this point with, with, with Optus. Uh, obviously, these, these things cost money. Um, uh, but what, what we are also seeing is this is not... It's not just about the commercial health of these organizations. As, as you clearly indicated, this is national interest. So, you know, the, reg- the government and the regulator will have to start looking at 
a network configuration. Yeah. So mm. are these networks up to scratch? The second thing that you can look at is we've got a, a, a range of networks. Can we interconnect networks? Roaming, it's called. Yeah. So when one when when you're not uh, when you can't get on one network, you know, can you then go on another network? Yeah. So these are things that can can be done. Technically, can be done. Uh, but that requires uh, operation uh, companies to actually start looking at uh, op uh, opportunities and options like that. And at the moment, it's all driven by competition. And you know, I've got the biggest network; you can't use it, etc. So we need to address it from a national interest point of view, rather than from um, a company point of view. So, Paul. And, and you, you would expect then you would need more cooperation between Telstra and Optus if you have these fail-safes and these rewriting happening. Yeah, but, you know, co collaboration doesn't work without actually interference of the government and the regulator. They will have to say, guys, you will have to sit together and you have to work this out. And here are some parameters that we would like you uh, within. We would like you to come with, with solutions. Yeah. Once again, you know, the, those companies are there to make a profit. Uh, they're, they're not for the national interest. Yeah, that's not that's that's not what they are. Uh, the, they are for so their shareholders who want to see profit. So you know you have to address these issues. Who's going to pay for all of this? Yeah. Uh, so that are the things that need to be addressed, and that's why you need the government and the regulator to um, intervene and sit down and say, okay, we have to look at this together rather than just leaving it to. Uh, the business to sort it out themselves. We've seen that now for 20 years and it's not going to happen. Yeah? Going back to that national interest idea, I mean, thankfully today there was no major bushfires or floods in areas of big populations. Is that another thing that's pointing to the fact that this is very precarious the way we're operating here in Australia with so few providers? Yeah, you know, I've been advocating for roaming for over 20 years, and it was in any case good to see that only last week, yeah, there was the announcement that in a case of bushfire and flooding, there is now roaming yeah, in emergency situation between the mobile mobile networks. So we, after all this debate, we finally have seen again, you know, with the interference of the of the. Uh, the government after the inquiry after the 2019 bushfires. So this then happened. So, you know, things can be done, technically can be done. Can we now extend this from uh, the bushfires and flooding to other emergencies like the one we see today? So, yeah, it's absolutely essential that we start looking at, at, at better solutions than the ones that are in place now. And the bushfire and flooding emergency roaming facility it's a good step in the right direction and perhaps we need to, um, to duplicate or replicate this elsewhere in order to uh, make our our uh, economy and, and, you know, as you mentioned, hospitals and people could be dying because, you know, they, they can't get the service. So we need to actually have more resilience in our networks and, and this, a situation like today makes that very, very, very clear. Paul, before I let you go for... For a period of time today, people living in the city got a taste of what it's like to have a comms blackout. And that's something that people in regional Australia have to deal with all the time. Do you think this incident could escalate the need for better comms in the bush? 
Yeah, the interesting thing will be because now Optus is now slowly uh, getting the systems back up. And to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised that, again, the cities will be up and running, uh, you know, this afternoon. But it's quite possible that some parts of regional Australia will have to wait till tomorrow. So, again, that shows, you know, the, the differences between the city and, uh, and, and, and regional areas. We are in desperate need of better coordination and better collaboration between the network operators. And once again, without government interference, they are not doing this on a voluntary basis. Uh, they want to protect their competition. They want to protect their assets and, and we do need it. And the, the hardest hit areas are always regional areas because the number of infrastructure, the level of infrastructure is significantly less yeah? and therefore far more vulnerable than the infrastructure in cities. Telecommunication analyst Paul Buddha. Christy Sparrow from Better Internet Rural and Regional and Remote Australia lives on a cattle station in regional Queensland. There are bushfires burning in the vicinity of her place today, but she still managed to pick up the phone when I rang. Christy explained to me she, like many people in the bush, had not got Optus service in her area. But she did say the Optus dropout illustrated why it was important to have a backup or redundancy built into your telecommunication service. I think it um, really paints a picture that no technology is 100% reliable. So it's really important for consumers to be aware about having redundancy in communications. So having, you know, two forms or a backup communication. So if one goes down, you've actually got some other system that you can contact people with. After the Black Summer fires, there was the the capacity for roaming to be to be put in place in those situations. Do you think that should be considered for other situations like what happened today? Um, yeah, so the federal government are actually looking into roaming in emergencies and I think that um, how that pans out will, will lead to whether roaming can be um, extended further than that capability. It, it's I understand that there's technical reasons that the telcos need to consider um, and probably trial before we could roll it out much further than that. Christy, I mean, you've been looking at telecoms, particularly in the bush for for a while now. Were you surprised there was no fail-safes built into key systems like hospitals, transport? Did that surprise you that the, you know, the extent of the ripple effect of this outage? Uh, no, it doesn't surprise us. It's um, something that we've been referring to as connectivity literacy for quite a while now. And connectivity literacy doesn't just affect consumers, it also affects hospitals and health departments and education departments where often we see these buildings or in regional areas in particular not connected to the best technology that's available and not having redundancy because of government procurement issues. A lot of the focus today has been on the cities and really people living in the city got a taste of what it can be like living in regional Australia and problems that are dealt with on a day-to-day basis in regional Australia. Do you think in some way this incident could escalate the need for better communications in the bush? I think it really highlights why redundancy is so important and why we shouldn't be relying simply on the mobile network um, for all our communication needs. Mobile networks were never built for um, the amount of data and traffic that is currently used on them. So, yeah, I think it, it definitely has highlighted that. It's also highlighted that for regional people, they, you know, they often don't have a neighbour to run next door to in an emergency. 
um, and that's why it's critical to have you know several forms of communication because nothing is 100% reliable. So when you're saying relying on the mobile network, are you suggesting that people should look at the satellite network and then back to the coppers and wires sort of situation? Yeah, so we always recommend that people, if they can afford to, have a fixed home or business connection, whether that's via NBN fixed line, NBN fixed wireless, NBN satellite or one of the alternate providers to NBN. There's quite a few out there now. There's wireless internet service providers, there's Starlink, there's alternate fibre providers. There's actually multiple different ways that people can get connected rather than relying simply just on the mobile network. Um, it wasn't designed to cope with the amount of data that we need to to use today for in such a digitally savvy world. Uh, in particular for a business, you know, they should be looking at their payment systems, not relying just on the mobile network, but also having a Wi-Fi backup for their FPOS machine. Christy Sparrow of the Better Internet Rural and Re- Regional and Remote Australia. Thanks very much for talking to Australia Wide. No worries. And just to illustrate Christie's message, the remote community of Punmu in Western Australia serves as a perfect example of what impact telecom dropouts can have for those in the bush. Punmu is 640 k's away from its closest town, that's Port Hedland. It's about as isolated as you can get. Today's outage saw communication for all 110 of Punmu's residents entirely cut off as the community is serviced solely by Optus. ABC Australia Wide. You're listening to Australia Wide with me, Sinead Mangan. Now stay with me. In a few minutes, you'll hear the incredible story of how a cattle producer from the Northern Territory miraculously survived being bitten by a massive croc. And guess how he did it? He bit it back. Well, I was in an awkward position and I actually missed most of what I was biting at. It was all heavy head, heavy bone. And my teeth slipped up and I got all of the eyelids. Probably by accident, I think. And his eyelids were pretty thick. I mean, it was like holding leather. And I jerked back on that and had about a second go past and he let go. The eyelids. Uh, Just stick with me and I'll tell you the rest of that story. Now, the major airlines have been front page news in recent months, copying a reputation beating over allegations they're ripping off customers. But away from the capital cities, an unexpected price war has erupted between two smaller players, Nexus and Air North. And while locals and visitors to the Kimberley of WA are lapping up cheaper fares, there's questions about whether this ongoing tussle is sustainable. And there's also the possibility the recent pricing plunge could attract the attention of Australia's competition cop. Ted O'Connor reports from Cunanara. Air travel is crucial in the Kimberley. The drive between the two main hubs, Kununurra and Broome, is more than 10 hours. In recent years, Air North has run a passenger service connecting these major towns to their nearest capital, Darwin. The US-owned airline has struggled with staff shortages and cop criticism for cancelling services without telling passengers. But new player Nexus arrived in late July and Air North no longer had the monopoly on these routes. Its boss, Michael McConaughey, is based in the Kimberley and has long been an advocate for the region. He says he was surprised by a substantial drop in his competitors' fares. Seeing prices come down by two or three times, almost to the day that we started operating, it's up to them as to the pricing that they set. But, you know, we're, we are there for the long term. The Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, known as the ACCC, has been watching passenger aviation closely in recent years. 
It says when an airline decreases prices on a route serviced by a new competitor, it could investigate whether this is anti-competitive. Competition law expert Catherine Kemp says if the ACCC did take a look, it might consider if Air North's significant shift in prices was predatory. We know that low prices are a very good thing, but they can become problematic where they're substantially below the firm's costs over a substantial period um, and they have the effect or likely effect of causing rivals to leave the market. But importantly, uh, predatory pricing is only an issue if the firm has substantial market power. And that will depend on how the market is defined and what kind of power the firm exercises in the market. And North told the ABC it hadn't changed its pricing structure and deflected questions about whether it was currently turning a profit on the Darwin-Kimberley routes. Michael McConaughey says Nexus is making a loss, but that was to be expected in the first six to 12 months. The tourism and hospitality magnate says in the long run, the flights need more passengers. It's still early days for us, so num- you know it's taking a while for um, the market to know that we're there and be jumping on board, but we're seeing continual increase. Ultimately, it's got, got to get back into a sustainable level for both airlines, otherwise they'll, you know, we're, we're going to be back to one operator and that's not necessarily the best outcome for people in the Kimberley. Aviation expert Tim Collins says airlines can only run at a loss for so long. Yeah, I mean, a race to the bottom in airline terms is is never a good thing because one player will ultimately potentially exit the market. If nobody issues a knockout blow, both airlines, all airline executives will eventually look at it and go, you know what, losing a lot of money on this route. And gradually, I think you'll see the fares drift up. Kununurra leader David Menzel says his biggest fear is that the region with large distances and a small population will not be able to support both airlines. The Shire of Windham East Kimberley president says locals need to recognise air travel is now a lot more affordable and the wider region stands to benefit. It's a psychological thing as much as anything. People are so used to having such high airfares for such a long time that we're not in the habit of just thinking about booking an air ticket and and going somewhere. And the only way we can grow our population and and make, make those load factors on the aircraft higher is, you know, if airfares are affordable. We want to see airfares down, but we also want to see sustainable business models out there. So we need to, you know, we need to see both airlines surviving. That's, that can only be with more, more passengers on, on, on the aircraft. David Menzel there ending Ted O'Connor's story. This next story from the Northern Territory will actually blow your mind. And the man telling it is Colin Devereaux from Twin Hill Station. And he's telling it from his hospital bed at Royal Darwin Hospital. A month ago, Colin was on his way to do some fencing when he stepped into some mud and noticed some fish swimming in a billabong that was drying up. What happened next is enough to give you the absolute heebie-jeebies. A 3.2 metre saltwater croc leapt out of the water to take a chunk out of him, but Colin stopped it by biting it straight back. Now, Colin is a hard man and the story beggars belief. Here he is talking to Matt Brown. Started walking, took two steps and the dirty bastard latched onto me. My right foot on the instep sort of as I threw a foot forward. And it was a big grab, solid. And um, he shook me straight away, shook me like a rag doll. And he took off in the water about three metres 
pulled me. When he stopped pretty quick, I jumped in the air and kicked him in the ribs behind the front shoulder with my left foot, which was hard to do because he had all of my foot. So I got a short kick in. And you're in the water at this stage? Yeah, no, I'm in the water, mate. I'm out in the middle there. So um, I kicked him in the ribs and I fell over. When I landed, my left leg went underneath me out the back. I was on my knee, leaning forward, just sort of half accidental, but my head with momentum went down towards his head, his head, and I managed to have a bite. But I was in an awkward position and I actually missed most of what I was biting at. It was all heavy head, heavy bone. And my teeth slipped up and I got all of the eyelids. Brought it by accident, I think. And his eyelids were pretty thick. I mean, it was like holding leather. And I jerked back on that and had about a second go past and he let go. I just I just leapt away from him pretty awkwardly, but I rolled twice and took off. Just stood up and took off with great steps up towards the billabong where my car was. He chased me, I think, three or four metres, maybe four, but then stopped. Because I did have a good look over my shoulder, by golly. So anyhow, I roared up to the hen camp, climbed the stairs, wrapped a towel around, I got a bit of telecom rope that was on the veranda and tied it all up tight and managed to get the bleeding stop straight away. And uh, my brother came out from various friends and got me into Palmerston pretty quick. So that was about it, mate. That was it. Uh, how were you on arrival at the hospital? Was it losing a bit of blood? Uh, yeah, no, I was, no I'd, I'd had all the block of blood stopped with the rope. It was stopped. There was nothing leaking out at all. So I did well there, and um, and I had it up in the dash of the Toyota all the way in, you know, high. And it was pretty painful, but it was getting painful by the time I got there. It was, but you... it was pretty damaged. I think it hit two toes. The, what do you call it? The um, tendons that attached to the two first toes. And uh, the skin died in the middle, so they had to pull all the skin off. They bloody put a few staples in right around it, try to keep it all hanging right. And then they, um, oh, some... 14 days later, it took that long. I had mud in it and that. They had to clear all the mud out because of the bad bacteria from the Billabong water itself. Goose shit, duck shit, and crocodile teeth. Crocodile shit and crocodile teeth marks. They were going to be my bacteria around it. Yeah, and this was all in your leg and foot. Yeah, it was. It was brittle. It opened up that bad. It was. You could see the black of the silt of the bloody mud in there. And in amongst that mud, this is microbial fungus and that got in there. They reckon, and um, so they had to spend a lot of time. I think it was over nearly 10 days flushing it. So it was hard going for a while in here for me, I tell you. And so how are you uh, now? Are you getting ready to walk out of hospital? Well, I took the bandage off this morning. I got a skin graft about four days ago, five days ago, from above my knee. I put a big patch across the hole, and I've pulled it up real good, and the whole thing was in good order when we put the skin graft on, like it was sort of joined together with all the staples and that. And they just laid a big skin patch over top of the holes, which was all pulled together really good, and um, pulled the bandage off this morning, and the grass was sitting on there real good. A little bit of piebald colours on it, but the old doctor reckoned it was very um, heartening to look at so far. So you got your leg? You got your five toes? Yeah, I have, mate. I'm sitting here with my foot up, and I'm, um, <laughs> I'm bending my toes. Yeah, and they reckon they might let me out. Have another look at it tomorrow, and they might let me out tomorrow. Mm, I was pretty crook there for a while. I had someone call me and say, you've got to speak to Colin Devereaux. Got attacked by a croc and bit the thing back. Well, I had no choice. Yeah. I had no choice. And it all happened, like I said, in about eight seconds I worked it out. It wasn't long, but 
just the way things rolled. If he had to bit me somewhere else, it would have been different, I think. But he was he ended up being eleven foot long and he was really in his prime. He was fat as a fool. He won't be doing it again. So you reckon eleven but, foot what three three and a half meters or so? About three point two, I think. I don't know, sure. But anyhow, it means I've got to change what I do. I've been walking around in too much water for a long time out in that swamp country, fixing fences and just living life. And um, I don't my eyes up. We're looking down on that dirty bastard. Um, he had everything his way. You couldn't see him. And obviously he was serious. I shouldn't have went out that far. I had a gun in the car, but I, when I'm thinking about it, the gun wouldn't have helped as a rifle. It wouldn't have helped. It was too too long and too awkward, you know, how he, how he bit me. And too quick, mm. I'd imagine. Yeah, it was. It was nasty. Could have got me arm or my guts, you know. So I'm a changed man. I'm going to change what I do. <laughs> We've had so many people calling up wanting to know how you are, Colin. So it's been lovely to hear your story. I'm so pleased we're here talking to you because this could have ended terribly. <laughs> <laughs> it could have. Yeah. It could have. Colin Devereaux, he's certainly a lucky man, but he's a hard man. I just can't imagine it. And he was speaking there to the presenter of the Country Hour in Northern Territory, Matt Brown, about a croc attack that happened last month. And he's still recovering a month later in hospital. And as he said, he's getting ready to walk straight out of that hospital. No better man. And that is Australia Wide for this Wednesday. I'm Sinead Mangan. I hope you're having a lovely evening. Cheerio. This is an ABC podcast.